Amen. You can be seated. Well, here we are, four weeks into Jonah, and we are just now getting to that part that most people think of when they hear the name Jonah. Uh, I've, I, I know this because I've had a number of conversations. I wanted to make sure that I could say this with some level of authority, um, that people think of a big fish, a great fish, and then they want to have a debate about whether it was a fish or a whale, and, they, and there's all of this fish talk when we come to Jonah. And the truth is, as we've seen already, that the fish is really not what the story of Jonah is about. It may play a pivotal, it provides the backdrop of, for a pivotal scene in Jonah. It is a supporting character in the story of Jonah, but it is obviously, we've spent three weeks already talking about everything in Jonah and not even got to the fish yet, and now here we are dealing with the fish, and this is the one week we'll really deal heavily with the fish. This story is not about a man and a fish. It's, it's not about a fish. It's not about the man that the fish swallowed. It's about the God that brought those two together. It's about the, the God that introduced them to one another, this sovereign and gracious God. So every week we've been coming and, and looking at this prophet, watching this prophetic book, while it does it in a different way than the other prophets do, just, just bringing to us and demonstrating to us the the beauty of who God is, the majesty, the glory of who God is, just showing us God and leaving us in a place where we must respond to that. So each week we've been coming, we've been asking these same three questions of the text every week. What does this tell us about God? What does it teach us about God? What does it reveal to us about God? And that's three questions that's really one question, so that's the preacher trick. Uh, the second question is, what does it teach us, reveal to us, or, or uh, show us about ourselves? And then what are we going to do in response? What do we do once we see who we are in, who, in light of who God is? What, what do we do in light of what God says about himself? Not what we perceive, not, not what we think is right, not what feels comfortable, what God shows about himself. What do we do? And every week we're, we're, we're dealing with that. This week, as we look, we'll see God save while Jonah Sinks. We're going to be in, from the end of chapter 1 to all of chapter 2. We'll start in chapter 1, verse 17. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there and get ready. I'm going to catch you up in the story so that we're all kind of in the same frame of mind as we start reading because we're kind of jumping in in the middle of the, of, the, of the events. And so, as you know, if you know, are familiar with the story, if you've been here, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a sinful city, and they weren't Jewish. They, were, they weren't a people that Jonah particularly cared for, and he said, no, I'm not going to do it. And actually, I don't think he said anything. He just got up and left. Uh, according to the scripture, he got up, he left, and he didn't just go like he's going to go on a trip. It appears that he was going never to come back again. He never was going to return. He's, most theologians, most people believe that he sold all of his possessions, liquidated everything, and got on a boat and, and was going as far as he knew to go, Tarshish. And we don't know exactly where that is, but we know it was in the opposite direction of uh, Nineveh, and most people believe, is at the southern tip of Spain. And so he's on his way to what he believes is the end of the world. He's going to get away. God says, no, nope, you're not going. I'm going to stop you. He sends a storm. The sailors freak out. They get scared to death. The, the boat is, is threatening to break apart, drop them in the drink, and they're throwing everything overboard, doing everything they can to save themselves, calling out to their false gods, and nothing is working. They think they're going to die. And Jonah is fast asleep. 
And the captain notices, hey, where's that guy that we picked up? And he looks under the deck, and there's Jonah at the bottom of the boat, fast asleep. He wakes him up. Arise, you sleeper. Wake up. What are you doing, you know? What are you thinking? We're about to die. Call on your God. It doesn't appear that Jonah did that, but he did join them on deck for a meeting to find out who was at fault. They cast lots during this meeting, and the lots fell to Jonah, and it demonstrates to the, to the sailors that Jonah was at fault, and once he's outed, what could he say? But, yeah, you're right. I'm the reason the storm is here. I fear God, but I'm running from God, and he sent a storm because of me, and now you're all suffering because of me. Well, what do we do, they say? I mean, what, what else are they going to say, right? I mean, well, you idiot. What do we do? How do we stop this storm? He's, throw me overboard. They're like, no, nah, we can't do that. Come on. I mean, wouldn't you second guess? Even if it was the guy that was causing you all the trouble, I mean, if, wouldn't you second guess throwing him overboard in the midst of this terrible storm? I hope, I hope you. If, if I'm your friend on the boat, I hope you'd second guess throwing me overboard during the, during the storm. But, and, and they did, and they tried to get back to land, and God's like, no, nope, not going to have it. The storm got worse, and they're finally they're faced with this reality. We've got to throw him over. They throw him overboard. He begins to sink, the storm quiets, the wind stops, and they worship. They are blown away by this God that Jonah's running from. So they make sacrifices, they make vows, they worship this God who they'd never known until that day as they experienced his power, experienced his glory. And Jonah is sinking into the sea. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 17 of chapter 1. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so here we get a synopsis of what happened, how, how God works in spite of Jonah. Jonah's thrown overboard. I think he really thought, well, just throw me overboard. I want to die. See, here's, here's Jonah. So, so we talked about Jonah a little bit last week, and I showed you how he began to kind of act sacrificial. He began to kind of set himself aside for, for, for the good of others. He had, he had run from God because he didn't want people to experience God. He didn't, they didn't want, he didn't want the Ninevites to know God. He didn't want them to hear about God's opportunity for forgiveness. He didn't want any part of that, so he ran, and he ends up on this boat with these other heathens. It's a different group of people, but they're still heathens, still pagan people in his eyes that worship all kinds of other false gods. They've already demonstrated that in the storm. And here they are in the midst of this storm, and, and they're like, what do we do? And Jonah... He doesn't say, well, let's call out to this God I fear, this God I worship, let's pray to him. He says, throw me over. I, I want you to understand, he might be sacrificing himself, and there might be a turning beginning in him, but he is not better. right? He is still being selfish. I think he wants to die. I think it's his desire just to be done with the whole thing. I don't think he's planning on getting swallowed by a fish. But the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And, and let me call attention to the word appointed. Here's the reality is that this was not an accident. It's not like a whale was going along and, and just had its mouth open and all the, I don't know, what's that stuff that, that floats in the water? There you go. See, you guys are so smart. Just floating into its mouth, feeding the whale. You know, it's not like that was happening. Oh, there's Jonah. I accidentally got a man in my food. It, that wasn't an accident. It wasn't a shark that was chasing, that was hungry and, and chasing after Jonah and decides to eat Jonah. You know, it wasn't like Jonah was food. No, Jonah was, was, was God's purpose. 
And he appointed a fish to go get Jonah. God was acting by his own desire for his own purposes. And he sends a fish to get Jonah, just like God had appointed Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell the Ninevites about his coming wrath and the opportunity for forgiveness. The difference is the fish obeyed and Jonah didn't. You see that? Purposefully, this fish swallows up Jonah, carries him around for three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Then Jonah cried out. This is the first moment in this whole story that we hear Jonah talk to his God. He talks about God, and he heard from God, but he never said anything to God until he's at the bottom of a sea. Do Do you see what's going on here? I mean, we can what-if things all day, and, and there's really no way to know, but just let's just toy with it for just a minute. What if when God had called? What, what if when God had called down Jonah and said, Jonah, I don't know if it's a deep voice like that. That's the way I always imagine it. Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. God, I, I don't really feel like that. not certain that I should be doing that. Do you really want them to hear I don't want them to hear God. Well, what would have been different? What, what could have possibly, potentially been different if he had cried out then? If he had called out then, what could have been different? Would he still ended up on a boat? In a storm? Overboard? Maybe. Well, what if he ended up on that boat and, and when that captain came to him and said, Arise, you sleeper! Arise, you idiot. Wake up. We're going to die. What are you doing? Call out to your God. Maybe he can do something. Maybe he can save us. Just imagine what could have been different if Jonah actually followed that advice. He still would have had the storm. But would would he have been in the sea? What what could have been different? What could have been different on the deck of the boat in the midst of the meeting that was going on in the midst of the storm? And they said, who are you? Where are you from? Why is this happening to us? Tell us about yourself so that we can understand. And he said, I fear God, now let's call on him. What could have been different? What could have potentially happened in the moment on the the deck of that boat when he confessed God if he had cried out to God? What could have been different? I think a lot of things could have been different. But when does Jonah cry out? Not until he's in the midst of of his distress. Not until he's in the belly of Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew's uh, uh, way of describing hell. It's not really hell in the sense of fire and damnation. It's a, it's a dark place where dead spirits or, or dead people go to 
uh, be when their bodies die. And it was distant and dark, and it was underground, and it was supposed to be this physical place. And, and it, it was just a reality that this place was full of dead spirits, and it was distant from God. It was separated from him. So God was up. Heaven was up, kind of like we talk about when we we're kids. When we, and actually, I still do this. I worship, and I look up, because in my mind, somehow God's up. Sheol is down underground, deep, deep, deep down underground, somewhere near the core of the earth in their mind. And that's where the dead people go. And they reside separated from God. Out of the belly of Sheol, he recognizes he was nearly dead. Out of distress, he, he had hit rock bottom. He was, he was hopeless. He was hopeless. He, he didn't have a chance. Except that he cried out to God. Then I said, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Verse 4, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Even in the midst of his distress, you can kind of see a glimmer of hope. The water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So out of the belly of the well, out of, this, out of this belly of the well, he recognizes where he was. He was at the bottom. Weeds, weeds. We're, we're, not, talking, we're, we're not talking all the kelp that floats at the top. We're talking he's, he's in deep water. Weeds were above his head. They were tangled around his head. He was at the root of the mountain. Where's the root of the mountain? Have you been there? I mean, we're talking not, not the peak that we see in Hawaii, the mountaintop. We're talking about the base at the root. We're talking about the, where it begins, where it rises up from the flat ground. I was at the land. He was at the bottom. And from there, he called out to God. And he says, you heard me. You heard me. You heard my voice. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been here. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced the, the bottom. I think I've been at the bottom. I, I've had some stuff that's happened in my life. I, I think I was at the bottom. If I wasn't at the bottom, I, I, I pray to God that, that I, I, I never get to the bottom because it was, it was, it was rough. It was, it was miserable. I was empty. I was in darkness. I, and, and it's metaphorical in a sense, but, but the reality was I was alone. And the stress and the pressures of life were like the weeds that were around me. Sometimes we need to get to the bottom. That's exactly what happened to Jonah. He got to the bottom. And he cried out to God. And if that was the end of it, of course there wouldn't be much else to read, right? I mean, if, if God had just turned his back and well I heard you take care of yourself if, if God hadn't acted if God hadn't appointed a fish there wouldn't be much left to read would there the story wouldn't go very far but right in the middle of verse 6 right smack in the middle of this prayer the whole thing changes See, in verse 4, we get a glimmer of hope already. I mean, he's in the belly of the well while he's praying this. All right, now I know it. It's, I've been saved. But in the middle of verse 6, we, we, we see 
He was at the bottom. He cried out to God. I was, I was dead. I was in the belly of Sheol. I was, I was wrapped up in weeds. I was at the root of the mountain. I went down to the land. The bars closed upon me forever. You see the hopelessness of that? That's it. Yet. These, these little moments are in Scripture all over the place. Our story, what we wanted, what we were after, what we were doing, what we deserved, but God. That may be, this may be, in, in our language, one of the most powerful, most, most precious three-letter words that we can read. He was on the bottom, yet. Yet. Wait a minute, there's more. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. You brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. You see how his tones changed about this God? He's not just talking about him anymore. He's talking to him. And he's recognizing his position over him. You are my Lord. You are my God. You are mine and I am yours. My life was it was done. It was finished. It was over. And yet you saved me. You brought me up out of the pit. My God, my Lord. What a powerful transition. When my life was fainting away, he says in verse 7, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now, we don't get the temple language very well because we don't think of the temple. In fact, we think of the temple as something that we've moved away from. You know, that's the old stuff. That's what was going on before. But let me tell you, the temple is just as precious to, to Jonah as the cross is to you and me. You see, we look at the cross. We, 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 we love the cross. And in fact, we do some crazy things with the cross. I mean, we put it up and we, 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 we put it up and promote it, right? Like we talk a lot about the cross. People in the first century would have thought we were crazy because they saw it as an executioner's device, but we have grown to love the cross because on the cross we see the wrath of God uh, 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 fulfilled. We see the wrath of God met. And we see the love of God poured out. We see the wrath of God, the seriousness of, of God against sin. He doesn't take sin lightly. But on the cross, we not just only see the seriousness of His sin, we see the breadth of His grace for us. His grace upon us to make a way for us. And, and, and here we are. We, we, we have the benefit of hindsight to look back and see the plan of redemption come full circle. We, we see the plan of redemption provided for in Jesus and the cross. And so we're able to look back to that. But for Jonah, this was him looking forward. This is him looking and, and, and perceiving the gospel with what he knew. The temple was their cross. You see, in the temple, there was the place where God had devised that He would meet with man and man would commune with Him. It was in the temple that, that man and He would carry on a relationship. It was in the temple that His law was presented. It was in the temple that the blood was spilled, the substitutionary sacrifice of animals was spilled, all looking forward to the moment that Jesus would come and die in our place for our sins, that we might have life. 
You see, as Jonah looked at the temple, he's saying, I see your gospel. I see the good news. In spite of my bad news, I see the good news of the gospel. I look and I see that I can have life because of what you have done and what you have made a way for. You see, this is Jonah expressing with his whole heart his love and his expression and appreciation for the work of God on his behalf. And so he says, you heard my prayer in your holy temple. A place where my prayer didn't even belong and you heard it. A place where my prayer should have never reached and you heard it. He's praising God. And then he turns and says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And we, we, we see here, Jonah, Jonah knows Jonah knows, Jonah gets it. I am where I deserve to be when I'm at the bottom of that sea. I removed myself in chasing after everything but the God who I say I fear, the God who I say I worship. But I, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is our greatest hope. That is our greatest opportunity. That is our, that is our, greatest, our greatest advantage. You see, when, when Jonah was on the bottom of that sea, God didn't look at him and say, figure it out. When God, when, when Jonah was on the bottom of the sea, God didn't look down on him and say, you deserve this. When Jonah was on the bottom of that sea, God didn't look at him and turn away. Jonah was helpless. Jonah was hopeless. He had no chance forever. The bars are closing over me forever. Yet. Salvation belongs to God. It, it's from God. It's worked out by God and completely dependent upon God. We don't get saved without Him, apart from Him, on our own. If you're sitting in here you and, and you are professing faith in Christ and you are looking for your day to be vomited out on the beachhead of heaven and you're looking for that moment that the fish spits you out into heaven, when you're looking at that moment, you're, you're, you're having to come to the place where you are with Jonah saying salvation is from God. It belongs to him. And if you're not, if you're not, then you're probably still sitting on the bottom. Or you might still be floating around in the sea, waiting to come to this point to make this confession. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish again. You see, the fish is being obedient, right? You get, I mean, you, you can see that, right? Jonah was disobedient, but a fish was obedient. The fish was appointed and went and swallowed up Jonah, carried him around for three days and three nights. I don't, I, I've never carried a man in my belly. I've eaten a lot before. And it was uncomfortable for several hours. Could you imagine being just full up for three days? Nope. Thanksgiving's one day. Christmas, one day. That's all I can take it. Two days, can't do it. 
But th that's what happened. Three days. And the Lord spoke to the fish. When the Lord spoke to the fish, that's when it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah was safe. He'd been saved. So, what does this teach us about God? What, what can we learn from this passage, from, from, from this 11 verses? What, what can we learn about God? I mean, that's really what we need to know first. And I think we see a couple of things. I could probably make a whole list of things, but I'm going to point out two. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. He exercises His great power to accomplish His purposes according to His own will. I'm going to say it again. The Lord is sovereign. He exercises His great power to accomplish His purposes according to His own will. Now, we've seen this sovereignty being displayed ever since verse 1. When, when He spoke, that was an exercise of His sovereignty. When he, when he told Jonah what to do, that was an exercise of His sovereignty. When, when Jonah disobeyed, or actually even before that, when Nineveh, he says that they had broken his standard, that they had offended him, that's an exercise of His sovereignty. When Jonah ran and he pulled up the storm and said, whoa, and threw it at him like a baseball thrown at your head. When he did that, that's an exercise of his sovereignty. We've seen his sovereignty as, as, as the storm quieted because Jonah was no longer on the ship. That's his sovereignty. It's his sovereignty that appointed a fish. It's his sovereignty that determined to save Jonah. It's his sovereignty in the pages to come. See, the whole book is about his sovereignty. It's his sovereignty in the pages to come when Jonah goes to Nineveh and they repent and he decides to relent. That's his sovereignty that he's acting on. It's his willful choice. It's his power in action. It's his reign and rule over all things in all of creation. It's his sovereignty in play when Jonah throws a fit because he has mercy on Nineveh. He, Jonah throws a fit and God brings up a plant and teaches him a lesson. It's his sovereignty in action. See, God rules and reigns. When, when we think of his sovereignty, we need to recognize that there is authority and reign established there. It's kind of like the CEO of a business. In a, in, a, in a huge corporation, there's a CEO and the CEO sits at the top of this pyramid or this org, org chart and, and Outside of the CEO, you know, there's some other officers alongside there, but, but typically the CEO is everybody kind of, everybody looks to him and he has vice presidents of different branches and those vice presidents have roles and responsibilities in their, in their part of the business, like a VP of, man, uh, of production, a VP of sales, a VP of marketing. And, and from there they have managers and that rolls down, you know, they have some authority and they have some responsibility and it rolls all the way down to you get to the people who do the actual work. They don't have a lot of authority. They just have a lot of responsibility to get it done. But who does everybody work for? The CEO. He's at the top. And so there's nothing that happens in the company that doesn't happen at least under his authority and that which he is not responsible for. Now, he might try to blame it on his VP because it makes him look better. But while you can delegate authority, you cannot completely and fully delegate your responsibility. God is at the top of our org chart. You get that? Everything sits under him. And so he not only is at some point responsible, but he also has all authority. He's responsible for either allowing or causing. And he has authority to say what goes and what doesn't. Just like, just like a parent has authority over their child, right? Where does that authority come from? 
Where does your authority over children come from? Where does your parents' authority come from? It originates with God. Where does your boss's uh, authority come from? Oh, because he pays me a paycheck. No, because God gave him the opportunity and ability to give you a job, to give you a paycheck. Even his authority belongs to the Lord. It's sourced from God. All authority that exists in this world belongs first and foremost to him, and he only allows or, or gives it to people as he desires. Governments. Why does the United States government have any right to tell me how fast I should drive on a road? I don't like him telling me that. I feel I can go, I can go as fast as I want. Why do they have the right? Because God gave them the right. He owns all authority. And it's not just about what happens between us and interpersonally. This is in all of creation. I love the book of Job for this. I won't, we won't turn there, but, but God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And, and, and in the book of Job, we find that. If you read Job looking for the answers of suffering, you're going to be disappointed. You're just going to, you're going to walk out with more questions. You read the book of Job seeing and looking for God's sovereignty, and you're going to find some answers. At the end, chapter 38, verse 40, or chapter 38 through chapter 42, at the end, whoa, Job has been whining. He's been frustrated. He's like, why did this happen to me? I mean, you think about the Poor Job. I mean, he'd already lost everything. Lost, lost his family, lost all his crops, his money. I mean, he lost everything except a wife who nagged him and a bunch of friends who blamed him. That's what Job got to keep. And I think Satan let him keep those because that added to his suffering. I, I really do. His wife, curse God and die, as he's sitting out there miserable. Not coming alongside of him, loving him. Curse God and die, just be done with it. And walks away. His friends come and tell him how terrible a dude he must be because God's out to get him. Who needs friends like that? So God, God shows up. Jonah's been struggling. God shows up, and, and he, he gets some why. He gets some answer to the why. But his answer's not like what we want to know, right? Like we want to know all the specific details. Why? Like, what did I do to deserve this? What happened here? Why did you let this happen? God just shows up and says this, because I'm sovereign. Where were you? He says, actually, he says, put on your pants like a man. Stand up in front of me. I think I'd have probably wet myself at that point. <laughs> put on your pants. Stand up in front of me. Be a man. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I measured it out? Where were you when I put the mountains in place? Where were you when the clouds were being formed? Where were you? I don't know where I was. What did I say to that? Where were you to, to making sure when, when I was making sure that the animals ate and the, and the mothers gave birth to their, to their offspring? Where were you when I was doing that? Boy, by the end of it, Jonah's like this. Or, I'm sorry, Job's like this. I was wrong. Sorry. My bad. Everywhere in creation we look, his sovereignty, his authority is expressed. It's not just in his creation, though. I mean, it is in his creation because everything's created by him. But, but let me just help you see how far this goes because it's not just about his authority over us and what we can see. Jonah doesn't end at the, it doesn't begin at the ending, does it? Jonah starts in chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Job, too many J names. Job starts in chapter 1 with God sitting on a throne and angels gathered around him and Satan happens to be there. And who mentioned Job's name? God. Wait, what? You mean Satan didn't come with 
come up with this on his own? No. You know why Satan was able to take all his crops and all his children but not touch Job? Because God said that's as far as you go, no farther. Even our most powerful enemy answers to this sovereign God. You get that? I I know it's not always easy to deal with, not always easy to accept, not always easy to believe. But it's not just about his rule and his reign, it's about his power too, because because of his power, he can actually bring to bear his promises. He can actually exercise his authority. He can bring about and, and bring to bear his promises to curse and to condemn, and he can bring about his promises and his and, and his uh, his promises to give grace. He's got the power. He is able to do what no one else can do. See, because God is sovereign, he rules over our lives. We don't. And I'm just going to tell you, that's hard for me to stomach. I'm not a guy that likes to just submit and give up. This morning, I thought I had it all figured. I was, you know, I'd done my normal routine, struggling the whole way through. So every morning, every Sunday morning, I wake up early, I, I pray, and I begin reading through my notes so that I can come and talk like I actually know something instead of like a blubbering idiot. And, and I was reading through my notes, forming up my points. Once I, got, once I got those points really where I wanted them, like how I wanted them to read, how I felt like God was speaking to me, I put them on the PowerPoint, and then I upload it to our software that we use. I think, okay, well, our soft, my software, I open it up, and it needs an update. Well, that won't take long. So I'll go ahead and update it. It'll be easy. While that's updating, I'll go ahead and put the, the verses and the, and the outline in the, in the version Live. I'll get all that taken care of. I'll, I'll make sure it's good to go. And by the time I'm done with that, I'll be able to do this. I couldn't because it was still updating. turns out it was a really big update. I didn't know. It's like, well, it's still updating. Oh, okay, well, I'll just go get ready. I'll brush my teeth, put on my clothes, you know, get ready to go, and it'll be done when I get back. Frustration's building. I come back, and it's done. I was like, whew, God, it's good. I need this to be done. So I go to upload my PowerPoint so that it's here ready for us to have service, and I couldn't. In, in fact, today's service wasn't even in the menu of services that I was going to try to add to. I was like, what's Laura doing? Like, she's the one that sets it all up. She's the one that, what's Laura doing? So already, you know, in this frustration, I'm feeling tension. What's she thinking? She's got to have this ready. And I look, and it's not Laura. It turns out my, my, for whatever reason, the software won't connect to the server, and the server's not updating my software. And it's like, oh, no, I don't need this. Turns out, as I reset my, a couple of things on the computer, and fine, it works. I'm able to start uploading it. It's time to go. And I'm on my way here, and I'm like, okay, I've got this table and chairs from the, the house. I need to get into the house, and I need to bring them in and, and get them set up. And, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm late getting here. I'm right, actually... Right when I should have already been here is when I pull into the driveway and people are waiting on me to go in the house. And feeling frustrated. Got to get this table and chairs inside. and Nothing just seems to be going right. Well, I reach down where I think the keys are in my truck. Keys aren't there. What am I going to do? So I come over here, I get the keys, and I think, I think I'll get the keys out of my office, but my office was locked, and I didn't have my keys from the truck, so I couldn't unlock my office to see if the keys of the house were in there. So I think, oh, there's my wife. 
She's got keys to the house. She can, I'll go get keys from her. And I think she's sweet. She's, she's so generous and loving. She'll just give me her keys and it'll be fine. And no, she gave me the keys, but she teased me quite a bit first and frustration building, right? Nothing's working. Nothing's happening the way I wanted it to. So then I get over there and I, I, I get in the house. I get, the, I get the, the table and I get the chairs in there and I'm talking. I get to pray with them. It's the first time in weeks that I'd actually got to pray with the, the Kidsway people on Sunday morning before the first service. And, and then I, I know I'm feeling the pressure. I'm just going to be honest. I'm feeling the pressure. I don't even have my mic on yet. And it's like, 50, it's like 10 till and I'm starting to kind of stress. And, and my mom, God love her, wants to show me some pictures. Frustration and stress just building. I come over here and I think, oh, I got to get the iPad in place so that parents can sign their kids in and got to get the computer turned on so that that's all taken care of. And, and I get the iPad turned on, and that works fine, but I see this red bar come across the top of it and I think, oh, I don't have the station that the printer's connected to. I got to get it connected. And so I've, I, I turn that on and it comes up and, and for whatever reason, the memory on it's dumped, basically. It doesn't even know that it's a station for our kids' way check-in. Now, now I've got to figure out how to get this thing to, to work right. And so I, I set it up as a station, but then nothing will print to one another. It doesn't even know what it's doing. And I'm feeling this pressure, and I'm feeling this stress, and then I get a tap on my shoulder. Hey, I want to introduce you to some visitors. And I'm like, this is what goes through my head. Just to be, just to be honest, last thing I want to do is talk to any visitors right now. I'm frustrated. Nothing is working. Nothing is going right. <sighs> Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Frustration building. The biggest, fakest grin on my face. I actually apologized to them. I told this story in the first service too and apologized to them. Frustrated. And then I sit down here and then we begin to sing these songs and I begin to think about what I'm about to preach. And you know what my problem is? Is I have forgotten that my God is sovereign. Your God is sovereign. He rules over all things. And I was in the middle of this, in the midst of this, not because he wanted to get me, but because he wanted me to see him. Our God is sovereign. Our God, and, 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 and we're going to have to push through this pretty quick. Our God is gracious. You see this? You see this? He's not just sovereign. He's not just ruling and reigning with an iron fist. He is reigning and ruling with a gracious heart. Your God is sovereign. The Lord is gracious. He is good without obligation to the undeserving. I want you to think about Jonah. He had no obligation to work on Jonah's behalf. He had no reason to work except his own nature. He didn't owe Jonah anything. Jonah had not deserved it or earned it in any way. God was being gracious. Tim Keller has a, has a case study, three illustrations that kind of demonstrate this. He says, case one, you're an employer and a group of people have worked for you for two weeks. You pay them a salary. Is that grace? No, they earned it. They deserve it. They've done something for to, to get it. Case two, you're part of a Sunday school class and the Sunday school teacher decides he or she is going to step down. You all get together, take him or her out for lunch and buy him or her a present. Is that grace? Well, no, there's an obligation. 
been serving and volunteering for, for many years, retiring, going to step away. There's an obligation to say thank you. There's a responsibility, a moral compulsion within us to say thank you. It's the least we could do. That's not grace. Case three, he says, you have a neighbor who is a louse. Whenever his music is on too loud and you ask him to turn it down, he turns it up. Whenever you turn your music on at all, he calls the police. When he gets sick, you run errands for him. You bring meals into him. He doesn't deserve it. And yet you're under no obligation morally to do it. Is that grace? Yeah, that's grace. You see, if you are obligated to do it, if you are required to do it, then that's not grace. If they have earned it or deserve it in some way, that's grace. Or or, or that's not grace. But when those two categories, when those two characteristics come together without obligation and to the undeserved, and you are good to them, that's grace. Well, what does this reveal about us? What does this show us about who we are? The scenery may be different. The bottom, we may not be at the bottom of the sea, but we all need God's grace. Jonah was the religious man, the one with history with God, the one who knew God, the one who had heard from God, the one who had spoken for God, and he needed grace. The Ninevites, they were sinful and evil. They were horrendous, and God was going after them. They needed grace. There's no one in this room, believer or unbeliever, Jesus follower or Jesus uh, a runner from Jesus. There is no one here that doesn't need this grace, this goodness on our behalf given to us by an unobligated God. Well, what makes it so good, what makes it so powerful, though, is this, is that it's given to us by a sovereign God. Grace is good no matter where it comes from. But grace from the sovereign God, the one who rules over all things, who all things answer to, that grace is truly amazing. You see, I can go downtown and I can hand out sandwiches to people who have not earned it from me and who I'm not obligated to serve in any way. And if I hand out sandwiches and walk away, what has that grace really given them? but momentary comfort. I can, I can go across the, the ocean and I can do all kinds of humanitarian works. I could go dig wells in Africa to people who I don't know, who don't deserve anything from me because they've not worked for me and who I'm not obligated to, to, to reach out to and do anything good for. I can go and do that. But, but, but if my grace stops with me, if it's the goodness that I can bring, that really isn't that great of a grace because it only provides a momentary comfort. This grace that was offered to Jonah and that is upon us is given to us by a sovereign God. It is eternal. It is infinite. It is is above all things. There is nothing that can remove it from us. There is nothing that can take it away. There is no sin too small that it overlooks, nor, nor sin too large that is not able to override because of who this God is. We need this grace, and it truly becomes amazing. So what will we do? How do we respond to this God, to the God showing himself in the pages of Scripture? How do we respond to him? Agree with God. Agree with him. 
That's exactly what Jonah ended up doing. He had had idols. He had, he had been running and, and serving these idols. He had been doing his own thing. And he had, not, he had not known the pleasure. He had not known the joy. He had not known the satisfaction. He had not known the contentment that comes with agreement with God. Simply that is believing him, trusting him. Simply it, it means that you're, you're, you're recognizing that what he says is true and right and you believe it. You trust it. I mean, you th- just think about this. If, if you do anything else, it's like you're standing in front of the floodgates of a dam and you're saying, well, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to do this thing. I am big enough. I am bad enough to take this on. And the floodgates open. I'm not going to agree that that water could wash me away. I'm not going to agree that there's tons of pressure behind it that would knock me over, probably rip my skin off. I'm not going to agree with that. You better agree with this God. Because the sovereign power that's behind his name It will do more than that dam could ever think of doing. You better pray to this God. What if Jonah had called out sooner? I'm I'm not talking about talking about God or talking at God. I'm talking about talking to God. What could have been different? Sin separates us from God. We're not talking to him when we're in the midst of that. We're not calling on him. We're not looking to him in any way. Make a practice of praying to him regularly. Pray to him now. Pray to him always. Pray, 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 pray. Keep praying. And however, whatever you're talking to him about, whatever you're you're saying to him, maybe you're whining, maybe you're like Job in that moment and you're just trying to figure things out. And He wants to hear that. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't be ashamed of that. In all of these things, it says that Job did not sin. He, He stayed sinless. Somehow in the midst of all of this complaining and frustration, he stayed sinless according to God. It was fine for him to do those things. Now, he got an answer. You might get an answer like that. You might not. Talk to God about what's in your heart. Talk to Him about what's going on in you. But please, please don't forget to praise Him as you pray to Him. Jonah, this whole prayer is a praise of God's great glory, His sovereign rule, and His gracious provision. See, as God's children... We can do these things because first and foremost, we are recipients of his sovereign grace. So even if we don't like our surroundings, the day is not going well. We can enjoy his goodness and we have reason to praise him. So let me close it out with some questions. When are you praying? When when are you praying? Are you, are you waiting till you're on the bottom? Are you calling out when you finally decide you're out of control? Are, are you praising God? Or are you complaining about the smell of that fish? I've never been in the belly of a fish. But if you've ever smelled the outside, I mean, just imagine what the inside smells like. I think it's probably unpleasant. What are you praying to him about? 
Now, are you praying at him or are you praying to him? Do you really agree with him? Do you, do you trust his word and have you brought yourself into alignment with it? Are you agreeing with God about who you are and what you truly deserve from him? Are you agreeing that you are a sinner in need of a savior? Are you agreeing that you still, even as a believer, as one saved by him, still struggle with submitting to his sovereignty? Are you agreeing that his purpose is greater Are you walking and following after him? Are you trying to go your own way? Let's pray.